Hello everyone, Pete here. Now to round off the week, we've got another great episode from Between the Lines with Melissa Reddy, one of the other football shows on the Stack Network. Today we've got an interview with ex-Liverpool and England striker Daniel Sturridge. Melissa spoke to Daniel last year about his amazing career and some of his recent struggles as he looks to return to top-level football. Enjoy it! Waited a long time, forced wide, oh, what a goal! Brilliant! Daniel Sturridge! Well, you thought the chance had gone... But that was just pure focus, pure instinct. Now that here Suarez is onside, and there's the goal. Liverpool level, the SAS striking fear into the Premier League again. Suarez to Sturridge, and Liverpool on terms. 112 club goals, many straight off the top shelf. Volleys, chips, jaw on the floor worldies, you name it, he scored it. He's played for three English giants in Manchester City, Chelsea and Liverpool with one very famous dance. So we need to get into it anyway. I want to show you guys how to do the dance officially, the right way, not the wrong way. Okay, okay. This is Between the Lines with me, Melissa Reddy. And on episode three, our very special guest is a footballer that has experienced glorious highs and gutting lows. I'm motivated by the fact that I know I've still got a lot to give. I'm, I'm still the, the guy who is pushing himself to be great. He's been both adored and misunderstood. He has been in prime condition, but has also felt the pain of injuries. Norwich is speeding away in behind the buy-in defence. And that is a beautiful finish. Now, has he hurt himself in doing Bayern Munich damage? You would hope not. I saw a, a quote from Royce the other day which said he'd pay any amount of money to just play injury-free and, and never be injured. And honestly, I'd, I'd do the same. He is more than a footballer. He is a businessman, owner of a music stable, Dudley Road Records. Head of a foundation, a soon-to-be dad, and ultimately human, like the rest of us. If I completely blank you and wear my headphones and walk past, you're going to be thinking, wait, is this guy all right? He doesn't have the decency to even acknowledge we're here. Whereas from the player's psyche, it might be like, I didn't even get on today or I had a bad game. Often, footballers are expected to be these robotic super specimens. But we welcome Daniel Sturridge to remind us that they're flesh, bone, feelings, and fallible. So there's only one place to start. Daniel, congrats on getting ready to add father to your list of titles. It's just a huge blessing, to be fair. I, you know, I, I always wanted to become a father and you know the, the time it was, was Daniel had been quarantining over in Boston and LA with his partner Jamila but they wanted to be back over here in time for their new arrival coming back home she wanted to have the baby over here so um I'm back in England obviously and and we were just delighted we literally can't wait man it's just it's just like surreal until I meet her when she's here when I when I hold the baby in my hands like <laughs> it's not going to seem real 
You've spoken there about quarantining in the US. How was it? Because obviously the situation has been so difficult, but when you're on another continent away from your family and you get this news that you're going to be a dad, I think that makes it especially hard. Oh man, like you know you know how I am. You know you know the kind of person I am and, and sort of like being in the States and hearing the news and then the quarantine and everything on top of it, it was just, it was a whole whole load of emotions at the same time because, you know, I've got my family in the UK who my mom's here and she's going through the quarantine sort of solo. My sister's close by to her, but because of the regulations in the UK at the time, you know, she was kind of pretty much solo. And then you have me in the States and, and me and my lady quarantining over there and trying to stay safe and trying to, you know, follow all the guidelines as well. Um, and just getting used to the new normal, you know, for everybody around the world, I think COVID has changed everyone's lives. And I These human considerations are something that footballers have to deal with every day, just like anyone else. Too often, though, there's an expectation that they should just train, play, perform, no matter what's going on in their personal lives. It's definitely an expectation there. And I think that dates back to even, you know, I'd probably say more so now, especially with the social media age and the generations prior to us. I think they, you know, could have done a lot more things that we can't do now, um, you know, with everybody being in the public eye a little bit more. Um, so... I think you, you do have to live your life um, in a different way uh, nowadays, especially, as I said, with, with how, how things are going from, from diet to, uh, you know, just trying to stay focused to your training, to, to rehabilitation, like all of those things, like technology-wise, everything's moved forward from the generations prior to us. But also I think the expectations on the lifestyle of a footballer have, have gone to another level as well. Um, because I feel like as footballers, although, you know, that's our main, our, our love, that's all we've ever known. That's what we, we dreamt of doing as kids. That's what we, you know, still dream of, of, of doing and living, living up to the highest expectations and the highest levels. And you want to be able to reach the highest of levels in your career, but also there's that that human element of things, which I think people don't understand that, you know, you, you maybe get home, you go to work, you, you get up at, you know, for me now, maybe life will be different. I'll be waking up earlier, but if we have training, we have to be report at say 10, 10 AM. I might wake up at, at you know, 8.45, I'll, I'll shower, drive into training, eat breakfast, then, you know, you do your prehab, you get your treatment and then you're onto the pitch. You're probably done if training starts at 10.30. You're probably done by... Some guys, honestly, they leave at... They could be out the building by 12.30 in their car on the way home. So you got to think, there's only really, you know, three hours, three and a half hours you're at work on some days. So you have a lot more hours during the day to do whatever you want to do. As a, as a human, we're all humans at the end of the day. So you have more time at home than you do at work. So it's how do you manage your time away from football? What's going to keep you busy? What sort of things 
do you do to keep you firstly engaged in football, but also you need that downtime because that's what's going to give your, give your brain a rest to, to take your mind off the game sometimes. Because sometimes you do get consumed by it, um, playing football. I think it's important to have a fine balance between playing the game and you know your family and uh, your friends and things which keep you excited outside of the game because football won't last forever as football players too. So we need to improve as people because a lot of people, when they do retire, it, it becomes difficult. It's like, what do I do now? I've only ever played football. I've only ever focused on football. I've only ever um, lived, lived it, breathed it, dreamed it. You know, that's all I've ever done. So what do I do now? And, and that's, that's the fine balance, I think, that, you know, you, you, have, to, you have to do um, in order to, I think, just stay positive as a, as a person. Because if things don't go well in football, how do you deal with that if that's all you know and all you're consumed by? That's a good point because I've spoken to quite a few former players who say they wish they would have had other interests while they were still in the phase of their playing careers because they don't really know what to do with themselves now and they do feel lost when they leave the game. You've been so into music and into your fashion. How have you managed to combine all those interests together while having a successful football career? I think it, it is it's easiest, it's easy to be honest. It's not a case of it being like, oh, you know, he's into foot, he's into music or he's into fashion or he's into gaming or he's into, you know, into investing in companies, whatever it may be, whatever floats your boat. I think as some football players will say, yo, I, I got home at, at one o'clock and I stayed on Call of Duty for nine hours. I mean, is that more acceptable than, you know, for instance, being interested in making clothing and selling that and potentially owning a business that can help feed your family in five to ten years down the line? I think the computer, playing the PlayStation and, or playing the, the Xbox, it's a good distraction for, for a young player, but is that going to help you excel your brain power? Is that going to be something that can help you grow not not really to be honest unless you are you know signing a gaming contract or something like that but I think there's a lot of things you can learn you know some some people want to learn about the property market and which places around the world are the best places to invest in, in properties there, there might be like myself I've always loved music so it's not something that I thought I wanted to dabble into it's, it's I've always done it even before I was playing football when I was a kid I loved music um so for me being involved in the record business or fashion like I've always loved clothes I've always you know liked to to find brands that maybe people didn't know about or people did know about that were popular and I'd like to you know collect nice little pieces here and there um so I think that it is very easy to to you know, do other things because you have so many more hours in the day than you do at work. The only thing is, is the acceptance of you doing other things is the balancing act. Because I think a lot of players do live in fear of 
of um, the repercussions for doing other things and their and their football on the pitch not necessarily you know at the level that they want it to be they could just be going through a dip in form but they'll then then there'll be things of oh well because he's doing a podcast he has his own podcast or because he's you know started a, 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 a t-shirt brand or because he's done something else that's going to affect his football but in actuality sitting on the couch for nine hours playing Call of Duty might be just as bad. Or if probably a lot worse, actually, for, for your body. So, you know, I think that there's a lot of ways in which you can you can manage your time. It's just up to you, really. Can't stress that shit no more, because stress don't make shit better. Yeah, used to live this poor, but now I make all this cheddar. So many goals in life, but music's the main endeavor. In my experience, lots of footballers hide their hobbies from the general public, whatever they may be. They post generic pictures of training and match days on their social media accounts because if they have a bad game, people will say it's due to the other distractions in their life. When players aren't on top form, people will judge them based on things that don't really have any bearing on how they play on the pitch especially in the age of instant, often toxic social commentary. Why? Why should Daniel, for example, be judged for his interest in fashion or starting a record label? You have to understand that there is a level of expectation from from fans and from the media, um, you know, that you have to only be concentrated on football and that's what you get paid for. And, you know, that's what you should be focusing on. But I just want to open people's minds to understanding like, you know, everybody has a job, right? You have a job, you know, you, you've put your, put your all into, into the media world, you know, but you have hobbies too. You know what I'm saying? There's things, there's things you like to do outside of work. When, when, you, may, when you go home, you may be like, I like to read books or I like to play bowling or I like to just hang with my friends and chill, or I like to cook, or I like to, to uh, play table tennis. Whatever it is that you do, there's, there's always going to be things which you have as hobbies. So when, you, when I feel that football players get judged a little bit on, on things like this, it's because there's that expectation to just stay focused on the job. But I think people have to open their minds to it and say, well, if I had nine to 10 hours in a day, what would I do with that? I mean, for myself, you know, even when um, I have all these other things going on, you know, there's not really, you may only use an hour of the day for, for the record label, really. You know, you may only take a phone call uh, for, the, for the fashion stuff. It doesn't mean because you have a business that you're wholeheartedly the person who deals with everything. Because you do have a team that works with you. You have staff that work with you and help you to manage all these things. So it's not necessarily your time that you're putting in. So for myself, when, when I got home from training, for instance, you know, I would have uh, physios. I had have, I'd have massages at home. I would, you know, work out at home as well and do, um, you know, things to keep my body right. Uh, as best I could always um, 
you know, from the food perspective, you do everything you can as an individual to, to be in the best shape you can possibly be in. But also you want to manage that time where it's like, okay, do I want to be consumed by the game where all I'm thinking about is the game? And it's, 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 it's important for your mental state for me to have other things going on because like you say, once you retire, what do you do next? And, and you want to have options, I think. And that's, that's the important thing for me is just to have options, I think, for the, for the next generation of players coming up. You know, I think it's more accepted now than ever for people to, to do other things. Um, so yeah, I think it is accepted more today. But maybe five years ago, I don't think it was as much, to be honest. There's definitely been a sea change in that regard. Have you also found it quite illuminating how players have more of a voice now, whether it be Black Lives Matter or whatever cause that they feel interested in? Obviously, there's Marcus Rashford fighting out against child poverty, for example. You can tell that players feel more emboldened now that they don't just have to stick to football. They can be political. They can fight for causes that actually mean something to them. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, there's there's been a, a a lot of things that have probably happened in the past that that people haven't been so vocal about. But I think I'm I'm proud to see, you know, players of of um from different places around the world being more vocal about things that that they are passionate about or won't turn a blind eye to. I think it's very powerful. Um, I think athletes have a big voice that that um is heard and it is a beautiful thing just just to see these guys campaign um and everybody stood in solidarity from the you know the players aspects and and things um around black lives matter and you know that's something that will continue to to uh, be campaigned for and you know rashford's done an incredible job um so far and i'm sure he's going to continue doing that you know i've got a lot of love and respect for him um, and, you know, I saw a quote, what he said, which was, you know, that it's not about which team you play for. It's about what's right. Something, something along those lines. And I think in a football world, sometimes we get caught up in allegiances for teams uh, from, from the fans aspect. And it's, it's not necessarily always about because I support a team that that means I don't like that guy and anything he does, I don't like it. You know, it shouldn't be like that. It should be more about, if somebody's doing something that I appreciate, you know, I'm going to say kudos to you. Like you've done an amazing job and I'm grateful for, for you actually doing this. And I think a lot of kids around the UK, regardless of where they're from, what team they support, not just them, but their families are going to be absolutely delighted, grateful and so humbled that somebody like Marcus Rashford would go out of his way to help them, you know, have a a better life, especially during quarantine with families going through a lot of financial difficulties. So it is amazing to see to see him do something like that. Um, you know, the Raheem Sterlings and people like that who spoke up as well. I just think it's, it's beautiful to see. Yeah, I think one of the downsides about not having fans in stadiums is Marcus Rashford isn't getting clapped across the country, which I'm sure would have happened in every stadium, even at Anfield and the Etihad. 
Um, but just to circle back to you, how are you feeling at the moment? You look in incredible shape. So how has the training been over the last few months? Quarantine is is is, is definitely been testing. I've I've trained tirelessly throughout the process, you know, and I think at the at the beginning of quarantine, especially for everybody, I think it was like, oh, like I can't. What do I do? Like I, I was trying to find gym equipment online. I was ordering all different types of things. They closed the gyms. They closed everything. So it was. I had a little setup in the house. Uh, was I was training in Boston when I was there. Then I went to LA. I had a, a trainer come and see me. Um, we was kind of quarantined together. Um, so you know, I'd be the only person who'd be treating and we'd be training together. And then I've come home and it's been the same thing. Um, I'm just trying to stay as fit and healthy as possible, training as, as hard as I can, feeling great, um, and just excited for, for the next chapter now to to uh, get back into football, to, to play my game and to enjoy. You sound so amped to return to the pitch and you sound very prepared for it too. What does the next team that takes on Daniel Sturridge get? You know, they're going to get an, an experienced player. You know, I've been played in the Premier League for probably 12 years, the best part of 12 years, um, and had a stint abroad as well. I think somebody who's completely focused on the game will add creativity to the attack. Um, you know, we'll, we'll try and score score goals, get assists, help the young players as well. That's something I pride myself on. Um, you know, whenever I've been at clubs, I've always tried to, put my arm around younger players, uh, help the new players when they join the clubs. I always try to help new players uh, settle in as fast as possible. I think I did a good job of that um, at Liverpool with, with the younger lads and, and with, with the, you know, the, the foreign players who joined the club. I always like to, to have banter and try and be someone in the dressing room who the, who the guys can... Um, respect and have a laugh with as well always try and add to the add to the dressing room from the banter perspective um and just just somebody who's focused and really really hungry to to continue to show what i'm capable of doing on the football pitch uh, that that's that's what i'd say i'd bring to the table you talk about your experience there and obviously you've been in the game for a very long time at an elite level at some elite clubs and I just wanted to ask you, is there a year that stands out for you that you look back and think on that was optimum, Daniel Sturridge? Uh, the way you see yourself, everything you symbolise as a footballer. And you think, yeah, all of that was just on the pitch in that year. Um, yeah, I mean, for sure, you know, the year we, we finished second in the, in the Premier League and we were unfortunate not to win the league, uh, that would say for sure, would be one of the seasons. I think that was 2013-14. And then I'd probably say a couple of years after that, you know, I scored in the Europa League final and also in the in the Euros for England. That was also a, a good season in terms of showing what I could do. Um, I think in, in the game, there's always going to be seasons where you may not have had the best season, but you always have moments. I think for me, I've always had moments where you know I've I've helped the team win games, or I'm not somebody to shy away from big moments in big games either. I'm, I'm somebody who will put myself on the chopping block and try and make something happen for the team. 
Um, so for myself, I've I've always been somebody who who tries to to make things happen for the team, and probably those, as I said, those seasons. But there's been a lot of moments as well in my career which I would say, uh, you know, again, it may not have been a great season for myself, but there were moments in the seasons which I would say stand out a lot and make me make me feel feel good about about myself. You've all seen Daniel score some amazing goals down the years. The cracking strike in the Europa League final against Sevilla, that volley against West Brom. But which goal encapsulates Daniel Sturridge the best? What I would say is probably the goal I scored for, for England in the Euros as well, because, you know, it was the last minute or the last two minutes of the game. We were, we were drawing, we needed to win. And... Um, it was kind of like a goal out of nothing, really, in that, you know, Deli Ali did a, a great piece of skill in the box um, to get the assist. But, you know, when I look back at the at moments of certain goals that I score, you, when you're in the moment, you don't realise what you did. Whenever I, I sometimes score goals, I'm like, I didn't even know that happened. Um, and that goal, it was like, there was a lot on the line, I would say. So... Uh, you know, for my to play for my country as well and to score a goal and to see the reactions of the fans afterwards was incredible. Into Vardy, Ali, it'll come back for Sturridge, will it? It's in! The two substitutes have turned it around for England. I mean, we could we could pick a whole catalogue from 2013-14 in itself. So. Yeah, there's a few in that season, man. That chip against West Brom was special, you know. I can't even yeah. lie to you. <laughs> That's, that chip, like, I would say, like, chipping the goalkeeper is, like, a special feeling for players, but goalkeepers really hate players chipping them as well. So I remember back in the day, like, guys with, like, Man City and, you know, there'd be Joe Hart and Kasper Schmeichel, two young goalkeepers at the time, and I was obviously a young player at the time. And whenever you try and chip them, if they save it, your ball is getting volleyed probably 100 metres down the pitch. Goalkeepers, they sincerely hate being chipped. So whenever you can score a goal like a chip in, in a game, I think it's the sweetest type of feeling when you score a chip, to be honest with you. There's been a few players who have been very good at it. Carlos Vela was very, very good at chipping keeping, by the way. Um, so shout out to him. Um, but yeah, that certain goals give you certain types of feelings, and, and that chip against West Brom gave me a great feeling as well. To say that, so I say that one of that that goal was special to me. This storage. Special finish from Daniel Sturridge. That is just wonderful. One of the most taxing elements for a footballer is dealing with serious or persistent injuries, not just in the physical sense and the grueling rehab but more so the mental strain that accompanies setbacks. Daniel Sturridge has intimately experienced these lowest moments during his career. Yeah, I mean, I saw, I saw a, a quote from Royce the other day which said um, he'd pay any amount of money to just play injury-free and, and never be injured. And honestly, I'd, I'd do the same. You know, I would, I would have paid pay any amount of money. I've spent spend 
loads of money outside of 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 uh the physios at work to do extra stuff um to ensure that I can be as healthy as possible um hundreds of thousands to be fair you know to make sure that yo know, my body has to be in the best shape possible and sometimes um you know you can do you can put the hours in you know you can you can do everything but sometimes it is just luck and it is the toughest thing is just the, the mental side of things because you know you've given your all you know you've slept well you know you've you've ate well you know you've got the treatment that you need to get everything in your mind you've done everything those small one percenters and when you go through an injury the mental side of it is very tough because if you're not strong mentally injuries will continue to break you and continue to um send you down a dark path you know some people have, have been I, i'm i fortunately always was able to stay focused always was able to continue to to move forward and say you know what i've picked up a little knock but I'll be back in this time. Um, you know, I'll be out on the pitch again. And um, you know, I've I've been someone who's who's played on injuries too and put my body on the line for the team on countless, countless, countless occasions. Um, played with played on injuries, played with even muscle strains, which you know is almost impossible to do. And I've walked over the white lines and we even remembered scoring goals like while having muscle strain, which again is like one of the hardest things you can do. You can't maybe sprint as much as you want or shoot as hard as you want. Um, I remember having having a muscle strain. We played against Man United for Liverpool at home and we won one nil and I scored a header. And nobody knew this, but before the match, I had a, I had a quad strain and I, I was, you know, I knew I was injured and the team knew I was injured, but I put my body on the line and said, look, that's something I've always done. I've always put my body on the line. There's sometimes a notion of, oh, you know, would I, would I, do I go through the, the, the hard things to, to push myself or do I put my body on the line for the team? And absolutely. Uh, I've always done that. I've always, um, put my body, you know, through everything to, to, to be on, to put the shirt on for the team because it's what I love. You know, football's always been something that I love to do. And no player wants to sit on the sidelines and watch somebody else play in a game which they know they should be playing in or nobody wants to earn money for football when they love they play football not for money they play football because they love football and um i think sometimes people get that confused they think oh this person's earning x amount of money so they don't care if they're injured or they're just living their life and they're not bothered about whatever and it's like no that's definitely not me like i know i have highest aspirations i've always had high expectations on myself um to perform at the highest level so i would never not want to play you would never not want to push yourself to the limit to um help your team be successful you would never not want to do that um so i think for for players injuries is the hardest thing to deal with in the game being being maybe not starting you know that's probably second on the list you know not starting when you when you're when you're healthy is the second hardest thing to do with as a footballer because all you want is an opportunity to play the game that's all you want as a player you know what i mean you only want to be walking over the white lines you've put it all in from monday to friday come saturday saturday afternoon you want to be like all right pulling up my socks today getting my kit on i'm good to go so 
as a player, all you look forward to is Saturday and Sunday. Monday to Friday is 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 the the lead up. It's the training. It's the get your body right, get your mind right. But on Saturday and those select few games on Sundays is what we all wait for, what all the fans wait for throughout the week, what all the players wait for. So when you, unfortunately, sometimes you don't get to play. Um, and, you know, I've had, I've had periods where I've been, I've been a backup. And, you know, that's, that's not, you know, a problem to be a backup in a team. Sometimes you have to, you have to know your role in the squad and say, okay, I'm, I'm not, for, um, I'm not first choice anymore. And you have to accept that and say, okay, what can I bring to the, ta- to the team from the bench? Um, and I think towards the last, probably the last year, last uh, couple of seasons at Liverpool, like I knew my role. I knew that I wasn't going to play every game. But when I did play, I wanted to give my best for the team and to help them um, be successful. So that's also something is for, for players, the transition of maybe playing every week to not playing every week. And then you can start, and then you're playing every week again if you move to clubs or you, or you, um, or you know, the, the manager decides that he wants to start you again. Um, so I think that's something you have to deal with as well as a player the ups and downs of it and the peaks and falls of it. Talk about painting the town red. This is what it means to be European champions for a sixth time. An estimated three quarters of a million Liverpool fans lining the streets this afternoon to celebrate the return of their heroes. The city Daniel left Liverpool after seven seasons, capping it all off with last year's Champions League trophy. Going on a parade through the city in front of 700,000 people was probably the best way he could have said goodbye to the club. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, Liverpool means a lot to me. Loved the club. Um, you know, they did a lot. They they changed my life. They they helped me become who I am today. Um, you know, from the backroom people to the fans, everything, the players, like that's that's you know my family right there. Um, so I was so grateful, you know, to to God that I was I was able to help the team become successful before I departed, and you know I had some emotional conversations. You know, I spoke to to Mike Gordon and we, we was reminiscing about the first time we met and and everything and, and you know, the guys behind, behind the, the, the staff, along with Jürgen as well. And, you know, it was the right time, I think, for, for us to part ways. I think, you know, I was there for a long time and, you know, I, I wish them nothing but the best. I'm, I'm absolutely buzzing that they won the Prem. Um, you know, for myself, I finished second twice, so I can only, I, I spoke to Hendo numerous times during the season to a lot of the other players at the club and was wishing them well and, and cheering them on as they were winning games and it was getting closer. And um yeah, I was as I said, I was buzzing to see them to see them win it. You know, myself and those guys spent a lot of time a lot of years together, I should say, not even just time. Um and we had a lot of ups and downs, you know, lost in finals, won a final. Um and to as I said, to see them be successful. Those guys are my friends. They're they're actually my like my family. So, um, you know, I was just so happy to see them uh, get the job done. When you talk about family, there support systems are so vital. I think in any walk of life, but especially in football, which is such an unforgiving industry. Um, talk us through the people, your actual family, that make up Team Sturridge and what they've done for you and what they mean to you. 
Yeah, I think, you know, for myself, it's always important to have uh, people that have your best interest and, and want to, to see you thrive, want to see you, want to see you grow as, a, as an individual. I think that the, you know, the, the one person who I'd say I'd have to give the most credit to is probably my mom. You know, she, she really kept me grounded was, was somebody who's big on education, big on, 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 uh, not just the, the football side of things, but also the human element of things. Um, so, She's somebody who, you know, without her, I know I wouldn't be where I am today. You know, she she really did. Um, you know, aside from my family, who like my my dad and my you know my brother and my uncles, who are all football, so they're they're just straight up football advocates. You know, they want to see me do well on the pitch and stuff. But I think for your mom, there's no relationship like that for for a, a guy when you're close with your mom and she can. Um, you can speak to her about things you, you don't necessarily speak to your dad about or, or your or you know your uncles about because the conversations you have with them are mainly football conversations. Um, so she's the one person I'd like to shout out. I think you know there's other people in the team, but there can only be one one mum that you, you have. Um, you know, obviously other people have stepmoms and stuff like that, but for me. I only have one mum and, and she, she raised me and, and raised me in the right way and, and helped me become who I am today. So I'm very grateful for that relationship that I have. And then in terms of this year, we've spoken about how much you love the game, you know, crossing those white lines, the feeling, the buzz you get off scoring goals and just celebrating with your teammates, all that good stuff. Has it been incredibly tough on you not to be able to do any of that? Absolutely. Come on, Mal, you know me, man. <laughs> absolutely like it's 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 been the hardest of course you know because you you know what you can bring to the table you know what you can offer you know the things you can can bring to a team to help them be successful as well um so you know you at the moment i'm i'm motivated by the fact that i know I, i've still got a lot to give i'm i'm still this the, the guy who is pushing himself to be great. Um, you know, I'm still young. I'm 30, I was to turn 31 in, in last week, a couple of weeks ago, sorry. Um, so, you know, I'm still young. I still have a lot of time. You see a, a lot of players around there, around the game who are playing as strikers, you know, 34, 35, 36 at the highest level in some of the biggest clubs in the world. So age definitely isn't something. Um, you know, I've worked tirelessly to ensure my body's in good shape. So I know that in terms of things like injuries, I've I've put in a strength base there. I've worked tirelessly. I've you know lifted more weights than I ever have before to make sure that my my body is in good shape. I've got my own team of, of physios, nutritionists, everything. I've employed people to ensure that you know I'm in the best shape possible to uh, give a team a hungry uh, centre-forward, uh, um, somebody who can play in every position across the front line, to be honest. So, you know, for me, to to not be able to play is, is the hardest thing to do, of course, you know, but God has his plan as well, you know, and I've always been somebody who has had strong faith and, you know, through moments when your faith is tested, you have to remain strong, you have to remain focused on what you what you got to achieve. You know, just like you say, you maybe when you're in quarantine, before quarantine, you train all the time. Then when quarantine comes around, 
oh man, you know, I won't train as much because it's just tough. And you know, how, 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 how do you deal with it? And for myself, even just being in quarantine and then seeing like the Premier League continue on and all the leagues continue going on while I'm in the States in quarantine and things. And um, even now, training solo, it's like, yeah, training with the coach is all good and well, but there's no feeling like going to training with the fellas. There's no feeling like having banter in the dressing room and all those types of things. I'm excited and I can't, I can't wait to show the world what, you know, I've been, been working on and what I'm, what I'm you know, ready to, to do. I want to help a team achieve um, success in whatever capacity that may be. Um, and I'm, I'm just looking forward to, to signing for a new club. For the listeners, it will be so clear how much this means to you and how much you want to get back out there and play. You were the first footballer I interviewed in England. And the reason I was so desperate to get you on this podcast is because I remember speaking to you and thinking, oh my goodness, this is so refreshing because you were so open, warm, you were really vulnerable. And, you know, as journalists, we're not really used to that a lot of the time. And you have not changed much, Daniel Sturridge. Yes, man. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a real person. That's, that's one thing I will say. When I mean real, I mean, sometimes it can be a gift and a curse because you're an honest person, but that's how I am. I'm, I'm somebody who can show emotions. You know, I am vulnerable, you know, um, and I like to, I don't speak my mind when it doesn't need to be spoken. I, I'd only say something if, in, if I really need to say it. But I'm somebody who is who is open. You know, I do like to to uh, to speak my mind when it needs to be spoken. But also, you know, when sometimes, for instance, th- throughout my career, maybe there's been things that media personalities may have said, and I thought, should I say something back? I'm like, wait, why would someone think that about me? Or, you know, like the the the, the notion of when people write things about you that don't necessarily know me. So. For someone like yourself to, uh, to you know, for, to have met me and to have had conversations with me over the years, you know what I'm about. You know, you know, probably you know me more than, than most um, media personalities because we've been closer to, than, you know, other people because you've lived in Liverpool and you've worked around the club more. So you've seen, you know, the best, you've seen the worst, you've seen in between. You know, I'm seeing that you've seen some low moments, you've seen some high moments. I've seen the moody Daniel Sturridge. Yeah, you've seen moody Daniel Sturridge. You've seen, well, you've also seen the funny side. You've also seen the moody side. You've also seen like, no, I'm not trying to talk today. Like, look, I'm not doing an interview. Like, I don't want to speak today. And I feel like sometimes people take that a turn. Like, it's not a thing of me disrespecting and saying, because that's one thing, the human element of things which players don't take into account from the media personality side of things is that I'm a human being, you're a human being. If I completely blank you and wear my headphones and walk past, you're going to be thinking, wait, is this guy all right? He doesn't have the decency to even acknowledge we're here. Whereas from the player's psyche, it might be like, I didn't even get on today or I had a bad game or I've got to rush off. So from the player's side, you're not taking into account how the media people feel you're taking into account of how you feel. Whereas the media personalities like yourself are looking at us because obviously we need you and you need us. It's a double, it's a double-sided coin. You know, without you, we, the fans don't get to hear the inside scoop. 
And without us, you guys don't get to provide an inside scoop. So it's a, it's a double-sided coin. But I think from the player side, we don't necessarily feel like, I wonder how they feel about what I'm doing. Do you know what, you know what I mean? So when we say the movie Daniel Sturridge, it's like, I know exactly some of the times when I've been like, I ain't even trying to speak to Mal today, man. Like, not today. Like, I'm out of here. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's just like, I think the media personalities, I don't like when people report about things that they've heard from other people. That's my pet peeve with, with the media sometimes is that when, you know, don't, don't report on something that, like, something you've heard. Because I feel like it's important for, for fans to understand. If you want to hear it, hear it from the horse's mouth. Have a conversation with the person. If you can get to them, have a conversation with them and find out what it is, what's going on or whatever it may be. And I feel like some players are open books, some players are closed books. Do you know what I mean? That's, some players, you know, throughout their careers, don't speak to the media. They say, like, that's just not what I do. I don't like to do interviews. I'm not. Or they give small, short answers and they, you know, the stereotypical, we're all taught, you know, some people are media trained, some aren't. Do you know what I mean? So, so you, you find, and I'm sure the media personalities would know this too. The reporters would know this, that there are stereotypical questions which players give. Everybody knows that. You know, when you do an interview, you know, players are, are taught to say certain things or whatever, but it's those real moments that people want to hear, want to see, want to understand the emotions of how a footballer thinks and really feels. And I feel like I've done that a lot of the time, but sometimes it can be a gift. It can be a gift and a curse because when you're open, you know, your opinion can be, can make people feel a certain way. But I'm, I'm, I'm an honest person. I'm somebody who, who has credibility. I've, I've always been open and honest with people. And I'll, I'll continue to, to try and grow as a human being, try and listen and learn from people. Um, and I'm sure I'll be hitting you up and asking you for some tips on the media world when I've, I've retired as well. So I hope you will be available to be interviewed by me one day. I don't think anyone can accuse you of never being real. I think that's probably one of the things I've always appreciated, that whether you're moody or good vibes, being funny, playful, serious, you are just authentic. You're never putting on a show. Um, and I look forward to seeing you cross those white lines again because you have a lot to offer. That is unquestionable. And I really hope you don't join the media world anytime soon because I don't want you taking any of my jobs. No, hey, listen, man, we can work together, baby. You know what I mean? Like, we ain't gotta, we ain't gotta be in competition. You heard it here first. Daniel Sturridge and I cooking up some content. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. I'm down. <laughs> Definitely down. Between the Lines with Melissa Reddy is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network.